0: Digital Bible, turn it on. If you've got a real Bible, open it up. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 18, we'll begin around there. So we're continuing on this like uh, same path with Jesus, with all the constant uh, drilling and probing by all these religious elite type characters. Uh, And to be honest with you, to me, it's tiring. It's tiring just, just to concede this continuation of the uh, basically to see the church that God built be so adamantly against God <laughs> the church that God built is is just completely against him and we've seen all sorts of religious leaders at this point <clears throat> we've seen elders we've saw we've been talking about the Pharisees and we're going to talk about them uh, again soon but Today we're going to read about the Sadducees, and they're all working together to slight the Son of God into saying something he regrets, saying some kind of heresy or anything whatsoever that will make his death uh, come a lot faster and just to make him go away. Because actually, what they like is church the way it is. And Jesus is here to change that. He's here to change the way it's always been, all right? And, And they don't like that. I, it should sound familiar because it is, right? They feel pretty confident. I mean, as people who are the religious elite or religious leaders, people who make it their life to study the scriptures, they feel pretty confident that they're doing things right and that they're right. Um, and yet Jesus continues to prove them wrong, no matter what he says, just constantly showing them how wrong they are, uh, or he leaves them stunned. like They're like impressed by the things he has to say. So, you know, here's one thing to remember. No one ever sees themselves as a Pharisee or a Sadducee. No one sees themselves like this, all right? I always tend to say, especially to people who have attended church for quite some time, uh, and it's almost seen as like a kind of a a knowing truth, is that at some point in your life, you will become the Pharisee. At some point, you will entertain the notion that you are right, that everybody else is wrong, and if they could just live their life like you're living your life, that everything would be ten times better, you, you will at some point find self-righteousness. You, you will at some point in your Christian walk will judge others based off your walk. It just is going to happen. It's, it's just kind of natural. Um, and so for the Pharisee and the Sadducee, they see themselves as right. They believe within the core of their being that what they think and what they believe is right. And even more so than right, that it's biblical. All right, Because that's the ground for which they're standing on. Right. But the, and they can't see it any other way. And maybe more importantly, they, they just refuse to be wrong or listen to any kind of opposing uh, belief or opposing view that, that's contrary to what they believe. All right, To them, there is simply no other way. This is the way it is. Here he comes. He's trying to change something. We don't like what he says. Uh, we don't see it the way he sees it, so he must be the one that's wrong. Now, I read a story once that really explains this, this idea or this presumption of how we find ourselves into being like this. Uh, uh, and it's a it's a... It's a neat story, and, and I'm going to read it to you, just kind of give you this idea of how we end up at such a place, right? Where it seems so innocent, but there's a lot of things going on with the heart there. Uh, it start, the story starts about a teacher in a public school who's teaching uh, third-grade students uh, about mammals, and they specifically begin to talk about mammals in the sea. And so the teacher begins, like, listen, there are all kinds of mammals that live in the sea, and the, one of the largest living mammals living in the sea is a whale, and the interesting thing about whales, for as big as they are, their throats are very narrow. It's a reason if you don't know anything about whales, they eat creel. Creel's tiny little, like, baby-looking shrimp stuff, and that's what they eat. They eat creel. They, they just gobble it up, right? They don't eat big things. I mean, they could. They're huge-looking, right? But the reason why is their throats are very small. So small, in fact, there's no way, like, whale, this is the reason why you don't see whales eating large things, because they can't put anything the size of a human actually into their mouth. It's too small. It's too small. Well, one of the girls spoke up in the class and said, well, what about Jonah? Swallow Jonah? No, sit, no but the teacher's like, no, they can't, it can't swallow a human being. The throat's not big enough. It cannot do that, right? Uh, because while it's large, right, the throat's narrow, it just can't do this. And so the girl persisted. Well, you know what? When I go to heaven, I'm just going to ask Jonah. <laughs> right? And the teacher's like, she's like, I'm going to show her. This is how we both get, right? Well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? What if Jonah's in hell? Right? And the girl's like, you know, her response is, well, then you'll ask him. <laughs> By the way, I'd be talking to this girl's parents. <laughs> All right. Right? Everybody giggled at that story, right? Everybody laughs a little bit, right? You giggle a bit because you assume sometimes you could assume the teacher's wrong. As soon as you first hear that first comment, you think, ah, oh, it showed the teacher, right? Right? Or possibly. That maybe the girl is wrong either way, right? You're assuming that what you believe is right and that she's validating what you believe. You assume that you're right based off your best guesses as to what happened to Jonah and your interpretation of the word of God. You might have even taken into consideration, you know what, teachers today, most of them are liberal anyway. Come on, I mean, you see all the news in the universities, what they teach and what they say and stuff. I mean, it's so blasphemous and so crazy. I mean, so it's a pretty almost safe assumption that most teachers are not going to believe or not mostly Christ believers, right? And here's the thing. Making those kind of judgments are not always wrong. But they do presume that our position is always the right one. And there it is. When we fail to consider that we may be wrong, then we're setting ourselves up to become the Pharisee. Or in this case today, the Sadducee. Right? Right? You can be so sincere about what you believe and be so sincerely wrong. (laughs) It's just the truth. And such is our story today. That's kind of the basis of what we're going to talk about today. The absurdity at times that Jesus had to face because people don't read, people don't understand, people don't know, right? They don't know because they don't go look or they choose what they want to see and what they don't want to see. This is our story today. Mark chapter 12, verse 18 through 27. This is the scriptures this morning. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders, who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They posed this question. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died without children. The third brother married her, and this continued with all seven of them, and still there were no children. Last of all, the woman also died. Tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her, Jesus Jesus replied. Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and that you don't know the power of God. For when the dead arise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. But now as to whether the dead will be raised. Haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses in the story of the burning bush? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. You've made a serious error. And this is our scripture, right? So once again, Jesus is approached by some more religious community leaders, right? It seems that all denominations, okay, they're in like full swing at trying to test the knowledge of Jesus, right? The Sadducee denomination, the Pharisee denomination, the religious leader denomination, the elder denomination, all these denominations that think they know everything, right? They all disagree with each other about the scriptures. Sound familiar? It's funny to me how much history doesn't change. We just don't call it Pharisee anymore. We might call it Baptist. We don't call it Sadducee anymore. We might call it something else. We might Jehovah's Witness. We might, I mean, like, listen, it's a bunch of people that got half-truths. Nobody's, like, really in full. That's the reason why they're so different. Nobody really practices the in full. By the way, that would be us, too. There's probably things that we're struggling with. And and if you don't think at times that you could be wrong, you need to continue to read your scriptures because I promise you, you will read them to the day you die and still not understand everything. Paul said our life is like, a, a, is like looking through smoke. We always see in part. We never see in full. Get over the idea that you're not going to know everything and embrace it, actually. Embrace the unknown. By the way, another word for embracing the unknown is called adventure. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. All right. So all these people, right, all these leaderships, right, all these groups, they're all pushing Jesus to the cross. They're all trying to orchestrate his death. Right. And the Pharisees aren't done. But after kind of messing up that whole coin trick last week, right, they messed that whole thing up. They didn't go like they planned. Right. They're like they they kind of like run back, you know, like they do in wrestling, tag the Sadducee partner. Right. He goes, gets out of the ring and the Sadducees come up and we're like, all right, it's our turn. Right. Here we go. We're going to trip him up because we got good stuff right here. It's going to be great. So real quick, all right, the Sadducees have some flaws in their belief system. For one thing, they aren't big fans of the prophets, all right, they're just not. Remember that while God has qualified many prophets and uh, uh, their writings uh, by establishing their voice through history, that that doesn't mean that everyone back then believed it. Same way as today, guys. There's a lot of things that are in the Bible today people don't believe. They pick and choose kind of what they believe. It reminds me a lot of Thomas Jefferson. Now, I don't know if you know any history, but being a you know, Marine and being like a, a Constitution buff and a, you know, an America-type you know, guy is that one thing that I remember about Thomas Jefferson is this. Have you ever heard of the Thomas Jefferson Bible? One of the things that makes that neat, the Thomas and Jefferson Bible, is this. He did not believe in the miracles. He thought that was just a bunch of hoopla. He could not wrap his brain around how miracles could have taken place or that it was real. He thought that was just, "Eh, I can't believe that. And because I can't believe it, he went and carefully took a pair of scissors and cut out all the sections of his Bible that contained miracles. And he said literally what was left is the best ethical and moral book of principle he's ever read. And he lived by this moral and ethics, which is great, but he denied the power. Right? He picked and chose what he wanted to believe in the Bible. Listen, it's not the first time. It's not going to be the last. There's people that do it now. all right. So this, this is kind of the Sadducees. They're kind of more concerned about what has God had to say in the days of Moses than anything else. And in those books, there's no talks of the resurrection. There just isn't. In the Mosaic books, there's none. So they, they, they've kinda, they're kind of disqualified in their theology. Right. Because they don't they don't take in the fullness of what God is. So since they don't believe in it, but they believe in Mosaic law, they try to make believing in the resurrection ridiculous. Right. Of course, you don't believe like we're going to tell you this ridiculous story because this is about how much we believe in it. All right. Which the stories come on. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. But if you look at what the prophets had say about resurrection, this is the stuff they had to ignore. Like, for instance, in Daniel. Chapter 12, verse 2 it says, many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Or how about Isaiah? We're studying that on Wednesdays. Isaiah 26, 19, but those who die in the Lord will live. Their bodies will rise again. Those who sleep in the earth will rise up and sing for joy. For your life-giving light will fall like dew on your people in the place of the dead. So the resurrections talked about quite a bit. But if you choose to ignore the prophets, then yeah. You lack the fullness of understanding. They don't like the ups and downs, right? They prefer the strict, the precise, the sturdy books of Moses, the law, right? And in limiting their vision, they limit their knowledge. By the way, we do it all the time, right? It causes arrogance at this point to be on full display, right? It's this whole story, right? And they tell this... And, and, you know, you heard the story. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died without children. Then the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them. Still, there were no children. Lest of all, the woman died. So tell us whose wife will she be in the resurrection. Guys, are you kidding me? I mean, really, that's a crazy story. By the way, how come this woman ain't in prison? I'm just telling you how I think. She's the last one to die, but she got seven brothers' money. <laughs> that would have been my question. Like, she's a black widow. She, like, does she eat their heads? I am mean, I don't know. I'm just saying, how come every guy that marries her dies? By the way, aren't you glad you didn't marry her? She's a killer. All right? I mean, aren't you, again, aren't you glad it wasn't me? Because I've been like, because uh, that's a woman. She's the devil. I mean, nobody should have married that woman the first guy that made the mistake, and then poor guys that had to submit to the law of Moses afterwards. You know, they all end up murdered. There's a reason why they ain't got kids. I mean, come on, man. I mean, I I just think it's weird. Like, of all the things you could ask the Son of God and all the things that you could ask, this is the question, right? This is the bizarre story that you want to get out there. This is the way to, like, Try to ridicule him. I mean, that's just crazy stuff. That's what you want to know. You just want to know how, like, whose wife she is. There's a lot more questions that beg answering in that whole story. The least of these being, do you think she'll be resurrected? Man, I don't know. I don't think so because I think she's a murderer. All right? Like, I think she's going straight to hell. I mean, that's what I think when I read this story. I don't, I mean, that's. Again, I'm not Jesus, right? I don't see the hearts of these men. I'm trying to think from a practical standpoint. This is the kind of stuff I would see, right? And, and here's the thing. What, you know, really, in the, in the whole asking sense, they don't even want to know because they think it's absurd in the first place to believe in the resurrection. So asking a story about the resurrection is not what they're trying to do. They don't care because they don't, they, they don't believe in it, right? They just want to trip up Jesus. They want him to stumble, Right, they want him to say something dumb or hasty or something out of frustration, like I would do. Like she's a murderer going to hell. Like they, you know, that's what they're trying to get out of him, and they're trying to do anything they can to discredit him. Right? It's what they're doing, and Jesus doesn't disappoint here, man. He answers them, and in doing so, he points out a flaw in their belief system, one that they struggle with. Right? He lists two specific areas for which they lack, and it's keeping them from knowing the God for which they want. They're saying they serve. Right, And these two things are the things we're going to focus on a little bit today. The number one thing, they lack the full knowledge of God. And the second thing he accuses them, they lack reverence for the power of God. Reverence for the power of God. So let's deal with the first one. They lacked the full knowledge of God. I can't tell you how many people flat out just don't know anything about God. Nothing. What's amazing to me is how many times as a pastor I tell a story that's an old hat to me. And I'm telling it to the first time for somebody who's been in the church a long time. I mean, I've got guys that to me, oh man, I was a deacon for like even guys at work. I mean, I've been a deacon, he you know, oh deacon for twenty years and he's a great guy. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to talk about anybody, but like Deacon, for 20 years, I've been in church my whole life, and I begin to tell him stories from the books of Kings and Chronicles. Like, oh, don't you love this story then? I mean, of course, because you've been in the church 20 years, you know the story, right? I mean, it's the story with, oh, remember this king who, you know, the prophet comes to him, and he tells him, hey, uh, yeah, God told me to tell you you're king, and as soon as he tells him he has to run, you remember that story? And he's like, ah maybe. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. As he comes in, remember, he's like a horrible king, really, right? The reason he has to run, because this whole job as king is to come in there, tell everybody, like, like, uh, uh, we're going to have a big Baal worship place, which is false idol, right? And we're going to do all this. And he he lures everybody in that's like a, like not worshiping God, right? And then he closes the gates and he kills them all. I was like, man, if that ain't some like crazy stuff, I don't know what is. And he's like, I never even heard that story. It's in the bo- You You were in the church for 20 years and you never read that story. Like, how did you have you read your whole Bible? Have you read it? How long can you go to church and not read all of the Bible? Like, at at some point, the challenge should be at you. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard pastors or people go, Man, have you read the Bible in a year? Or have you done a little Bible in the year thing where you read this scripture and then we go to the New Testament, we read this chapter, and then we go over to the Old Testament and we read all these things? Like, there's like tons of stuff out there like that. That's right. I mean, like, One thing I will give the pastors who were before me are that as I was in my young 20s, being so full of sin and kind of in and out of church, the one thing they did express very often was how much you should be reading your Bible. And it's amazing to me how much I tell people and and and. People come to me for advice. They want scriptural or spiritual advice, and, but they won't do the things that you give them the advice for. Well, how, how is it that you are able to do this? How is it, Pastor, that your life looks like this? Well, first of all, I read the Bible and I pray. That's a lot of it. That's a lot of it, right? I get wisdom from the scriptures. I gather wisdom in prayer, right? I lean on other people who share the same values and principles, right? So it keeps my life a lot drama-free. And everybody wants drama-free life. Everybody even the people on Facebook, right? The keyboard warriors. They say they don't, but they, they really do. That's, that's, they want it, right? And as preachers, uh, w- w- we see most people know just enough to be dangerous. And, and if, we're, if we're not careful, they know just enough to be arrogant, but rarely confident. This is the reason we struggle with evangelism. Because even people who know, that, well, I know the word really good. I've been in church for 20 years. Then how come you don't bring people to church? I mean, how can you live that long knowing Jesus and not be telling so many others about Jesus? Just, I just don't know how that happened. Like One leads to the other. One will naturally happen. If you're in the Bible and you're praying, you won't have to learn evangelism. You are evangelism. It just comes out of everything you talk about tends to come out of your mouth that way. So that when you even talk about life or like, you know, somebody's asking me about Colorado, like, oh, man, you know what? I was telling somebody the other day, you know, the one thing that Colorado has taught me that there's some beauty that takes pain to get to, that the only reason there's beauty at those, some of those places I go is because we ain't gone there yet. It's too painful for us to get there because as soon as we get there, we'll mess it up. Right? And nobody's ever going to go see that beauty because they don't want to endure the pain it takes to go see that beauty. Right? But let me tell you. And you know what happens that? All of a sudden I go, and that reminds me of Jesus. And just like that, they're like, oh, here comes the Jesus. I can't, t- not, right? Because I see God in it all. Everything I do, everything I see, I see God in. That comes from studying the scriptures and spending time with God, right? It's what it comes from. We just don't study God's word anymore. There used to be all sorts of practices for memorizing scriptures and studying different portions and sections of the Bible. But today, it just seems like we're too busy. It's really it. Like I, I hear all the people like, I'm just so busy, I'm just so busy literally with all the help of technology that we have today some of you turned on your bible which means that you carry it with you all the time right and still we've lost the art of giving ourselves to the word of god and don't think i'm just talking about you all right it'd be easy just to pick on you but let's pick on the pulpit a little bit too i remember just a few years ago all right by the way the the ministry is suffering hard in this area all right. Just at youth camp a few years ago and listening to some of the leadership brought they they had they had brought in different uh, department heads and speakers to pitch the, their ministries, resources and how they might help our ministries. And I remember hearing this one guy get up and he was the department head for an order for an organization or whatever or a department called Junior Bible Quiz. And if you don't know what Junior Bible Quiz is, it's where they take uh uh, 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 high schoolers and, and junior high kids mostly like junior high kids and what they do is they teach them scripture memorization all right? and then they'll get a list of these scriptures that they have to have memorized right? and then it'll be a competition between a couple of kids all right? who's going to remember the most word for word maybe in different translations and they'll have to go through there and memorize all these scriptures so that when they go to these contests they're pitched against another kid to memorize scriptures can I tell you that's a good thing by the way Memorizing scriptures, knowing the word of God, to be able to spout the word of God just at any time and be able to quote it is is an amazing thing to do. All right, so he, this guy gets up and he begins to talk about how this is what it is. that He wants to teach kids, on, and, and this has been a big thing in the past. It's been something that's gone on for a long time, uh, uh, and, and and these competitions are really good, and it's very impressive watching these young people uh, know scriptures. However, this guy, when he got up, he's like making this strong plea for pastors to get on board and plug their kids in because commitments had been down. It just hadn't been in many kids that is interested in doing this, and and uh, it's been hard. It seems more like an old thing than a than a new thing. But they really want to push it because they understand the value of what it adds to a kid. So we're trying. Basically, he's up there going, "Please, please, get your kids involved because our 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 our, our attendance or whatever you want to call it, our, our commitments are down." In, in this right now and then and then he, that's his plea right he, he gets down it's the next guy's turn and the the next guy gets up and this man I wish I was making this up right uh, uh the, he's another department who says listen uh we want to also resource you pastors I'm I'm with a department that basically says this is youth pastors we hear you listen the majority of youth pastors out there you guys are bivocational uh, uh, uh by the way which means that you work a job and you preach at the same time you're not necessarily a full-time preacher that's a whole nother sermon right there uh and 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 which is i don't buy into that by the way um but you're bivocational, man. You've got to work a 40 to 50 hour a week job. Uh, you're still having to pray and preach. And you just literally and you do all this ministry stuff with kids on the weekend. And we understand that your time is just so precious and it's so hard and it's so demanding that we're here, uh, 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 that we understand that you don't have really time to pray at times and you don't have time to read your Bible because you're just working so hard. The demands of leadership is so much so Uh, what they were offering is, let us, uh, we've prepared sermons for you. Like right after the guy who just said, we can't get kids invested into memorizing scriptures. (laughs) And then they get up in the pastor and the pastor gets a walk, right? So let let me get it straight. Like you're not seeing a huge involvement in the junior Bible quiz department, and that's not okay. We want our kids to memorize scriptures and have time for prayer and have time to read the bible but it was understandable for pastors not to pray and not even write their own messages by the way there's a whole business out there of it There's a whole business out there of it but this was bizarre to me to have like like i remember going to one of the leadership guys i said did you did y'all did you even know like one was going after the other you know why this guy's suffering because this guy just came on This guy says, I can't get people to pray, read their Bible, and memorize scripture. This guy says it was okay for pastors not to. And for me, it just looked like they were cutting off their nose to spite their face. So for kids, it's not okay. For pastors, it's okay. Which only reaffirmed my position anyway. It's an old saying goes, as the pulpit goes, so goes the pew. If your pastor's not a praying pastor, guess what the people are. They're not praying people. If your pastor's not a guy who's in his Bible, guess what your people are. There are people who are not in their Bible. What's he going to convict you of? I mean, why should a teenager have a prayer life and read the Bible if the youth pastor doesn't? Let me say, so you can hear it from my mouth, read your Bible. Make time. Memorize scriptures. Not for my sake, for yours. There is nothing more powerful than knowing the right thing to quote to yourself. Sometimes, and it doesn't always. Listen, some of the some of the uh, the best words that I've received from the Lord through Scripture have been some of the hardest ones. I remember when I when I jumped into ministry uh, before God. I, I mean, I, I was kind of always flirting with the idea, but I I'd kind of stayed out of it. And I was in my hunting business at the time, and I was getting ready to. We were looking at property for buying and. You know, I'd own my own home, nice home, and all this thing, and I'm getting ready. I want to buy land, and I'm, I've got all my dreams, right? And I'll, I'll never forget reading Ezekiel and God being upset at the Levitical priest for owning property. And, and because this is the reason why. Because God said, I'm going to take the Levite, I'm going to make him the priest. Everybody else will own things but them. You know what they own? The Lord. And, and as I was going to the Lord going, Lord, I feel you calling me into the ministry. God was saying, I want you to give up all those things. Give up your dreams. Give them to me. And, well, God, I want to own land. No, 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 no. I'm going to give you me. Instead of land, you're going to have me. That's a hard one, by the way, because it feels like an intangible. Intangible. It's hard to just trust God blindly, like, okay, God, so that I'm just going to go where you say go and do what you say do. I'm not going to own anything. I'm not going to, like, seems like I never hardly have roots. You know, I, I've been renting a house for almost a decade, God. You know how much my wife wants to own someplace and call, their, call it home, which we call this place home, but it's hard always because I depend on others quite a bit. I, have, I don't have a lot of ownership. I don't have debt. I don't have credit cards. I don't have a lot of that. I have God. I have God. <laughs> I am God. I remember crying, right? And I, I remember my mentor going, well, you know that's Levitical priest, right? Like that's Old Testament. I was like, I know, but I know that that was a word for me. God was telling me to give up my dreams and make God my dream. And some of those times are the best words. And you know where I was, I was reading Ezekiel. That's how I came across that. And it was a word that spoke out to me in my studies that I was already been reading. By the way, you'll have those moments if you'll develop a study life in your life where you just go through a book when, my, my favorite thing to do in, in journaling, which is kind of what I do for Wednesdays, I've kind of given you kind of some of my journal thoughts, is I sit down with a book and I go over it Scripture for Scripture and I really look at that and I, and I just begin to develop. I'm not a guy who's going to sit there and read in all the Greek and all the Hebrew, although sometimes I will because something calls to me about it. But there are times where I just want to sit there and I'll read over a few Scriptures and then I'm going to write the thoughts out of what the Lord's given me as I cover these Scriptures. I tend to keep it all like in journals. And write it all down and, and everything, and, and I just take it day by day. And you know what? Sometimes there's unbelievable, I call it rhema or uh, uh, divine revelation knowledge to be found. And you know what? Sometimes it is food on the table. It's just another sandwich, right? It's another bag of chips. It's just another food for my body, man, so that I'm, I know Scripture. And then you know what ends up happening? It's like these stories that I get lost in in the Old Testament is that you end up saying something. I'm like, oh, Man, that reminds me of that story. And I I begin to tell that story, and and you're hearing it for the first time. And you know what happens then? Evangelism. Oh, yeah, man, I'm telling you, man. You know what they, like we were talking one day about making movies at a a place. And I was like, you know it would be a good movie? Like, I am so surprised, like, they haven't done, like, uh, and I'll bring up somebody out of, like, the, the, the uh, Mighty Men. Like, how have they not covered Benaiah? Like, oh, my gosh, or Abner, not Abner, but uh, uh, Joab. Man, there's a guy. He grabbed a guy by his beard and stuck him with a knife. Can you imagine looking somebody in the eye? I mean, like, see how it becomes visual? Like, like I'm like, now that is some military stuff going on. Like, Joab one time went to a place where he was looking for a guy. A lady comes out to meet him because they're scared to death of him, right? And she says, what is it? He goes, well, I chased this guy in here, and if he don't come out, I'm going to kill everybody. And you know what? Within an hour later, they threw his head over the wall. Awesome story. How have they not made a movie about stuff like that? Awesome story. Where do you think they get all the ideas from, by the way? Right? Right? Those are all in the Bible. And you know what ends up happening? I start telling the Bible, and I start talking the Bible, and I start talking. And it started out about movies, (laughs) the whole thing. And I just worked it right into, like, so you're coming to church? (laughs) (laughs) You want to hear more cool stories? Because I tell them at church. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) I don't shy away from all the blood and violence in the Bible because it's welcome to who we are. It's human depraved, right? Human depravity. I don't shy away from it, right? This is, I read my Bible, and in reading my Bible, it makes me powerful in the Word of God right? You're coming today and listening only because you believe that I am reading my Bible and praying. That's the only reason why. It's not because I'm handsome, which I am, but still. It's not because of that. It's because you're believing God is speaking through me and that God has a message for you that somehow is going to come through my private time with Him, right? Because by the way, let's just be honest, everything is birthed through intimacy. And when we're intimate with the Lord, everything is born. As a church, if we're intimate with the Lord, we won't have to worry about newborns coming in the church. They'll be born. They'll be born. Our concern is to be intimate with the Lord. That's why uh, uh, our, our motto is we advance, the, we advance the gospel by what? Returning. Always being intimate. Always going back into that private room with Jesus and getting alone with Jesus. Because if we'll get alone with Jesus, we won't have to worry about the advancement of Jesus. Jesus worries about the advancement of Jesus. Our part is to be intimate with God. Right? We do not have to worry about all this other stuff, which I think we carry on too much of our shoulders. And I think the Lord wants to say, I said my burden is light. Why do you keep trying to do everything? I always tell pastors, if, it's, if, if you're saying this is hard, ministry is hard, you're doing it wrong. You're trying to do too much. You're trying to place everything on you and not trusting the ones who God sent you. Truth, man. This is the word, because the word said, My burden is light, my yoke is easy. Then if you're if it's hard and it's strenuous and you're dying, something is wrong. More than likely it's going to start here with you. You're trying to do too much. You're trying to save the church. Listen, by the way, Jesus saves the church. Give that part up. Read your Bible. Memorize scriptures. They say that knowledge is power. And if that's true, then it's no wonder why the church has been powerless for so long. You've got to read your Bible. And listen, the church has her moments, it's true, but God offers us a direct line and a life, like the evangelist says, to be under the spout where the glory comes out. That's what He offers us in His Word. So it's up to us to read. It's up to us to study. It's up to us to show ourselves, according to 2 Timothy 2.15, as one who need not be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. That's up to us. God's given it to us. I've given you, well, Lord, how do I get through this? I've given you some word, like read my word. It'll show you how to live your life. Right? It'll show you how to live. Listen, it's not a map in the sense like it's going to tell you what's behind door number two. It's not like that. You know what it'll do? It'll give you confidence no matter which door you take, it will be the will of God. You will believe in providence. You will believe in a God who makes things happen according to his perfect will. And if it, by the way, which means failure Works out for your good. That's the reason you read the scripture in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to them who love God and who are called according to his purpose. You know what that means? It means when you get up in the morning, if you will pray that scripture and you will believe that scripture, that it doesn't matter what decisions you make during the day, the good ones and the ones that you hate, they're all working for the better of your life, the better of your benefit. When you know that, that is freedom in life. Man, this is about to get horrible, this bad decision I made. Guess what? God knew you were going to make it. He's not surprised. All right? And guess what? It's going to be okay. Why? Because all things work together for good, right? I know that, right? That scripture's in my heart. It's it's written on my heart. It's scarred in like a tattoo on that thing so that no matter what good it is or what bad it is, I'm going to be okay because I'm in Him. And the second thing the Sadducees struggle with is this reverence for the power of God, which, by the way, I think is a direct testimony of your lack of knowledge of God. If you are going to have, if constrain God into a box, then yes, you are going to limit the power of God in your life. They just didn't believe it was possible that anyone could be raised from the dead. I mean, you can hear it in their tone for which they speak to Jesus. They're kind of like joking with him almost, right? Again, This is where my sarcasm would have got the best of me. And I'm so glad we all have Jesus in these moments, right? Jesus doesn't belittle them like I would have, right? Jesus doesn't ignore them. He approaches them on their own ground. He actually quotes to them from the knowledge that they would know. By the way, that's called love. And don't you feel if anybody could call you a moron, it'd be Jesus. Like, listen, you dummy, I gave you a Bible. There's like three in your home. I've already told you this. Like, how many times have you been to church at this point and you ain't got it? Like, he could say all those things, but Jesus doesn't, right? I mean, he could say these things to the Sadducees. He's given their whole life to this. And to him, it's foolishness. He, he sees it as a grave error, right? But, like, he still, like, talks to them or approaches them in a way that hopefully maybe they'll get it. That's love and grace, guys. He says, haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses? He appealed to them right where they were at. In the story of the burning bush long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, so he is the God of the living, not the dead. And so the position Jesus takes here is that when God tells Moses that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's in the present tense. As if these men had never perished. As if they're still alive today. He wasn't saying, I was the God of Abraham, I was the God of Isaac, I was the God of Jacob. No, he says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. It's present tense. These men are still living, still alive, right? He's still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When we get to heaven, we will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We will see all those who have gone before us. And and before we can even move on, it's kind of a big thing. This text is important. It's important that you understand and believe that the dead will be resurrected. Huge, guys. Paul had to deal with this in his his whole ministry and the mentality of all the people he met with along his journeys. And guys, so will you. You will have people who will struggle to believe in the resurrection. Listen to how Paul had to address it and why it was so important. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 23. He says, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there'll be no resurrection of the dead? Funny how Jesus dealt with it and Paul's still having to deal with it. For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching's useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead from the dead, has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given a new life. It's important. It's important. Paul says to follow, he says, But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. So if there is no resurrection, there's no hope of a future. The gospel is null and void. By the way, this is why Easter is kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. Yeah, Christmas reminds us that Christ came into the world, but Easter is what secures us that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. The resurrection is important. Without the resurrection, we would not celebrate Christmas. There would be no B.C. or A.D. We would not know Jesus Maybe this is why Jesus said that they had made a serious error, a serious error. By the way, when God says, hey, man, you really, really messed up here. That's probably pretty important. And so, I mean, if you doubt that God raised someone from the dead, maybe more importantly, man, how are you ever going to believe it? How are you ever going to believe it? Can't know unless, you, first of all, they limited themselves on the knowledge of God. And limiting themselves on the knowledge of God, it led them to hear and making errors. And they stand before the Lord. And they act like braggadocious and arrogant and pompous. And they, they bring up this crazy story as if to make fun of it. Right? The, by the way, this is Jesus' life work. <laughs> he was born for no other reason. <laughs> and it's like almost you're going to ridicule everything he is and everything his ministry stands for all because you just don't read you you just picked and chosen what you decided you wanted to learn so what do we take away from all this we can get ready for worship we all have moments when we believe that we're so right even sincerely right but in actuality, we're wrong we all have those moments Uh, i can't tell you how many times i've had to say i'm sorry or that i was wrong Listen to what someone has to say. Test it against the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God and you don't read your Bible, don't be so quick to say something is foolish. Be honest with yourself there. Be honest with yourself there. Know what you don't know. Don't be so arrogant to just say someone's wrong because you just believe something in you tells you that they're wrong. Know, know the Word of God. Know the Word of God. Test it against the Word of God. I remember... uh, don't be me man in this scenario i tell you i sat with my baptist brothers i worked a job where we were we basically called like youth pastors and pastors and sold these little bible studies uh for a christian company that did bible studies and we had to call churches all the time and stuff like that but in the in the break room you put that many uh a lot of us christian 20 year olds who are going to school or learning to be preachers in the same room we're going to have some theological discussions all right, and you take somebody who's born into more of the charismatic evangelical, right, and you put them in a room full of mainliners, which, which would be like the Baptist, Presbyterian, all that. You're right. We, uh, we're going to have some differences of opinions. And I'll never forget our, my biggest one being over the sovereignty of God. And re- I was an idiot. I didn't know anything really. I'd never really studied the theology behind the sovereignty of God. And these kids coming in who are being taught at Dallas Theological Seminary, and I'm being taught by the B-I-B-L-E seminary, and, 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 and that's like my, my background, the irony in my background, everybody always says, where did you learn? I read the Bible. <laughs> that's where I learned. I read the Bible. And honestly, you'd be surprised how much smarter you'd be if you just read the Bible more than most seminary guys. Most seminary guys listen to their teachers and professors and rarely have an actual intuition about reading the Bible and knowing where those things are. They take the words of other men. I call them clones. <laughs> that's what they are. They don't have a thought for themselves. They they think whatever their professors tell them to think. But I remember these kids schooled me on the sovereignty of God. And I remember walking away. Like, no, I didn't walk away. I was ugly. I was like, that's blasphemous. <laughs> Dude, you keep talking like that, you're going straight to hell, bro. Like, there's no way. That's right. These Baptist kids, right? And I was like, mm-mm. I got to know. I got to know, man. I mean, because it. I mean, I'm going to lie. It felt like it rocked my world at first. Like the thing, and and maybe one day we'll talk about what that was, but like it it rocked me. Like rocked everything I thought like about God. Like it began to make me ask questions that I never even thought about asking before. I you know what? You know what? In in reality, I had just taken the word of the preachers. I didn't really fully understand or dig into the scriptures to create what we call theology, this basis of doctrine. I had just trusted the doctrine of the church. I had just trusted the doctrine of those who were preaching. By the way, you'd be surprised how many of the preachers don't really know. And so, like, one of the, I never forget it, man. I mean, like, just railed them. I came home. With like, they just, joy, they were blaspheming God today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find this truth out, and then I'm going to stick it to them. <laughs> I'm being honest, okay? Right? I mean, like, I'm just being honest. I'm being real with you, right? So I'm like, I'm about to Bible thump me. That's how I came to be a Christian, so I just thought that was normal. And so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Bible thump them, and this is going to be good. <laughs> I had a a pretty strong father-in-law, and and this is going to be good because it was fun, kind of Bible-thumping my father-in-law. Back, once I got really good at the scriptures, then nobody wanted to talk to me anymore. And, and uh, <clears throat> I'm, we're going to quit talking around the Bible around, Jim. <laughs> and, 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 so, and so, like, uh, uh, I, I go, and I'm like, I'm going to read all these books. And I read these, the most boring books that you're going to ever want to read, right? On uh, all these different, uh, uh, the, where they were quoting, right? I'm reading their books, and I'm like, they, I'm like, telling Joe, like, these books are, like, n- mind-numbing just they're so littered with the way you talk and the way you speak and the way you explain things. And I'm like, am I being manipulated? And the more I go look and I'm like, well, I'm going to keep testing all these scriptures because they keep quoting back all these scriptures. And it's, con- it's scripture. It's Old Testament scripture, New Testament scriptures. Bro, I'm going to tell you what I found out. I found out that my Baptist brothers were taught very well. That's what I found out. I found out that I'm more like them than I care to admit because they got some solid, strong doctrine. It is so built upon the Word of God. It's like concrete. And you know what happened? I go, oh, hardest thing ever in my life. I said, you're right. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And then the next thing that happened, I was so mad at all my Pentecostal brothers who don't talk about it. Well, how come you don't talk about it? Because we don't believe like that. Why? It's all over the Bible. How do you get around it? Because we don't talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's not smart. That's foolishness. You'd be surprised how much semantics keep us from believing like this. There's a lot of things where, like, say me and my mentor, we're like, well, I call it this, and he won't call it that. I disagree with that. Yeah, but this is how I believe. Yeah, I believe just like that. But then that's this. No, it's not. (laughs) We agree more than you know. You know what I found out? That's really, we agree more than we don't. And truthfully, it's just the way we say a few things that make us disagree. A lot of it's exactly like each other. We, if I was to ask you questions, right, that, and present the case for the thing that baffled me, right, you'd be like, oh, yeah, we believe all those things. And then I would tell you, right, real quick that most, like even the AG or something like that, they're going to be like, no, we don't believe that. And I don't even think they have a good foundation for it. But it's funny how it's semantics. It's just the way you phrase something. It's the way you say something that will make all the difference in the world. Listen, but here's the thing I'm going to tell you right now. Know your Bible. Because, man, even though I was, like, in the beginning of my walk, in the beginning of everything, and I think, I I mean, I'm reading the Bible, I'm on fire, I'm on fire, I'm on fire. And I had my world rocked because I hadn't really read the Bible like I thought. I hadn't begun to piece together the old and the new and weave these things together and see what doctrine was. And doctrine, by the way, should be the concrete of your life. Doctrine is this. It's strong biblical foundation for you. Truths that we can all agree on truths that we all agree on, man. And when you have doctrine built in your life, man, this is the greatest thing that one of the things the Baptists do better than anybody else is they have solid doctrine. And that doctrine has helped build their platform. They build their platform off doctrine. Evangelicals were guilty at times of building a lot of platform off emotionalism. This is why we're fickle. We're fickle. We're fickle in attendance. We're fickle in power. We're fickle in a lot of things because we don't, there's not a lot of strong doctrine at times. We're more about how we feel than how we think. It's good to be both. I <laughs> said, so where Baptists. To me, where they're they heirs, they, they, they're scared to death of emotionalism. They're scared. Like, I always love when we would go and, and participate, because, by the way, I believe we're brothers. When we go and participate with a lot of Baptist stuff, like, one of the things that I would see, I, I had to talk about it this weekend because I'm thinking about altars and stuff like that. And, and I was like, man, I'm, you know, um, one thing I see with the Baptists where, where we differ is, like, when we get done with, like, a worship set, Pentecostals love to linger. We love to like, you know, like we, I describe it like this: There's an ocean right here, and we're not people who like our toes getting wet. We're like, dude, I'm about to go swim. You with me? Like, and 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 my Baptist brothers be like, like I'll put my toe, but I'm not interested in getting that wet. I don't know what's out there. It's the ocean. There's things that bite out there. There's things that might not be good out there. You're right, by the way. You're right. It, that is a very true statement. There is some things out there that are not good for us. There is some things out there that is all emotionalism and it's not the power of God. Right? There are fake tongues. There are, there are, there are fake healings. There are fake preachers. There are all, all that is out there in the ocean too. Make no mistake, they have a valid point on that. We would rather trust the doctrine which holds us to the beach. I get that, bro. But you miss out on the good things that are in the water. There's something about being in the water that will change your life forever. And if you'll just let it go, man. If, you, if you'll just let go for a second, you're going to see it. Again, it's our differences sometimes. There's a lot of ways we're alike, and you can't blame them for what they've done. They've held fast to doctrine and truth, right? By the way, this is where we need to learn from them. We need to create doctrine and theology in our lives that holds us fast to a foundation, right? So that when we step into the water, we always feel the beach underneath us. We always feel the sand, you know? We always feel the sand. Read your Bible. The devil knows the word of God. Your greatest enemy knows the Word of God. The adversary that literally seeks to destroy your life feels that it's important to know the Word of God. Shouldn't you? Shouldn't you? What does the Bible say about knowing God's word? Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That, That sword is not only good in your hands when fighting others, but even for yourself when you're fighting yourself. Sometimes you need to take that sword, put it to your throat, put yourself back up on the cross. Kill that old flesh off. Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 2 Timothy three sixteen, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. If you're a parent, read the Bible. Train your kids to read the Bible. Memorize Scriptures. There's power in the Scriptures. Lastly, don't underestimate God. Don't underestimate him. Show a reverence for his power and abilities. Just because you don't always see God doesn't mean he isn't there. God isn't a human being that needs to be seen doing outreaches or helping people or donating to charity or anything else. So he doesn't care if you see him in everything or not. Like that or not, as much as we want to see God doing stuff all the time, well, I don't see God in anything. I know that's because you lack vision. See God in people. I mean, that's what, that's what I've had to learn in the scriptures and in my life. You know, I, was, I was talking to Daisy Christian, get, get ready. Because you're going to see God, but it's never going to be like you think. You're going to see God in the little girl you're trying to help out. You're going to see God as people sacrifice their finances, what they worked hard for to help you accomplish what you need to help. And you're going to see God in all those areas. See him for where he's at. See him for where he's at because God's not a bragger. God doesn't need to be put in the paper so that you can see what he does. God doesn't need to get up on every street corner and announce what he's going to do. He doesn't need to be braggadocious. He doesn't need to have a big reputation. He doesn't have that hunger like we do to be seen for what we we do. Because the earth and everything that's within glorifies him. Everything. The fact that there is dirt below and sky above testifies to the magnificent and awesomeness of God. When I go out to Colorado and I look at the mountains that nobody else gets to see unless they go out there, you know what they're saying? To God be the glory. Every time I sit in them, by the way, this is one of the great things about going to the mountains. Every time I'm in them, I think about how insignificant and small I am. And as big as I can feel here, I can go out there in the middle of nowhere in Colorado and feel tiny, like if I don't take care of myself, I could die out here. Like I am not the alpha in Colorado. No matter how strong I think I am or how smart I think I am, I am humbled. That is God. To be in the presence of God is to be humbled, is to be reminded that God is in control and you're not. Listen, he loves our mouths to sing praise and give him glory. As a child who tells the parents that they love them. But make no mistake, the whole earth does this daily by its very existence. It doesn't need it. Is happening already. It's happening every day. Every day you wake up, the earth testifies that the Lord is real. Every day that this gigantic ball of rock continues to spin around another gigantic ball of rock in the middle of radiated space, where if you leave our solar system, you're like immediately, as soon as you get out of Atmo, you're going to freeze to a solid piece of rock All right. Or if the ozone or anything that's around this atmosphere decides to go down for a second, you will burn to the scorched earth. Okay, like can you can you fathom how crazy radical the idea of just spinning in space is? Centrifugal force holding us down right now. Ridiculous. It's so bizarre. Ridiculous. Uh, God doesn't need praises. God gets praises daily. It testifies who he is, right? It testifies of his very existence. God's not a bragger. And I'm pretty sure no one in heaven is either. You know, I've always said, you know, the whole story between the man who uh, was the rich man and the beggar. And he's like, man, I, he didn't give to the beggar when he was dead, right? And then, or while he was alive, right? He's, the rich man says, like, I don't have anything or whatever, right? Then all of a sudden, the rich man finds himself in hell and he sees the beggar in heaven. And he asking for a cup of water, and it's like, nothing you can do, man. There's nothing I can give you now. So, I mean, I, and I've always used that saying to say, man, the braggers on earth, they won't exist in heaven. Braggers end up going to hell. Listen, everything you have, everything that's been given to you is all for the purpose of glorifying God. It all speaks to the existence of God. Can I tell you, if everything works out great in your life, it's to God the glory. And if everything doesn't, it's to God the glory. You know why you know that because all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose. And if you don't have that scripture memorized, you need to. And you know what? There's a whole Bible full of other ones that are awesome too. even the genealogy. Some of you are like, "I don't want to read because of some of this stuff like I don't even understand. Like it, there's so much power in it though. even the genealogy. Why do I need to know who? All these people that Jesus is like born to. First of all, because there are prophecies that says if he's not, he's not Jesus. Second of all, because you need to know, man, that in the line line of Jesus, there's imperfection. You know how cool it is just to know that Jesus both is the God of the adopted and the God of the firstborn? How cool is that? God knows what it's like to be adopted, right? And he knows what it's like to have his natural born mother. That's crazy stuff. Like, I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff you're going to find in the scriptures that make him under. Like, God, I see how you understand me, man. I see how you get me right. You're the you're the one who talks about the prodigal son. So you definitely know me, God. Right. The guy who comes crawling back after I've had my way with life, which is me. I feel like that at times, too. Right. But you don't know that story if you hadn't read it. You won't feel the comfort that God wants to give you if you don't read it. Sometimes I think I'm the only one that thinks that way. We'll read the Bible because there's a whole bunch of people that think weird ways. And maybe you're weird. You ain't alone. All right? You ain't alone. Some of you have lived like Samson where you're blessed and you've used your anointing in ways you shouldn't have been using it. All right? Maybe that's your story. I don't know, but there's a whole bunch of them in there and somewhere you fit in. I guarantee you there's a Bible. There's a story in the Bible where somewhere you'll go, I relate. I relate, but you'll never know that if you don't pick it up and read it. And I'm going to promise you this, the devil's already using it to work against you. The more he can keep you busy, the more he can keep you entertained, and the more he can keep you distracted, the better off he is. He doesn't have to tell you not to read your Bible. He just needs to tell ta- how to entertain you from keeping from reading your Bible. Well, don't you want to watch football instead? Don't, aren't you just too tired? Don't you love your bed right now and you don't want to get up and pray? Yes, totally. Right? I mean, there's, it doesn't take much, my wife. Don't cover your head. That's all right. That's all right. She loves sleep. It's okay. Right? Listen, God's not a condemning God. There's no guilt and condemnation in this. This is the, the push. Go take the life that God has promised you. Now, I, my favorite thing, and I'll, cl- I'll close with this, we'll get ready for worship, is this, the, the beginning of Adam and Eve. And in Adam and Eve, God comes to them, and and the word that he gives them, he says, listen, you're going to have to subdue the earth and conquer it. Subdue the earth is what you have to do, Adam. And as a man, this is the thing he tackles him with, like, and that's not an easy task. He gives him a wife to help him out. He has to name all the animals. And by the way, I don't know if you, but like, how many times do lions just listen to you? How many times do like rhinos and things like that listen to you? All right nah you, your task is laid out for you and and then the curse right we know that the curse comes right that means everything is hard from that point on right you're gonna have to farm the land now before it just grew wild and all this stuff that you ever needed to live on just grew wild no more of that scorched earth time man it's time where you got to go plant you got to go you're gonna have to break sweat and go work now forever and i say this to say to say this thing this is like why it's one of my favorite stories Nothing comes easy. Get over it. I probably shouldn't even say it from the pulpit, but there's a thing we say in the Marine Corps. There's a thing we say in the Marine Corps that helps us with the idea of the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps is hard 24 7. Matter of fact, it's so hard that we would tell you this that boot camp is the easiest part of the Marine Corps. While some people would argue it's the hardest boot camp there is, we would tell you as Marines that the easiest thing you'll go through in the Marine Corps is boot camp. That being said, we have the saying. Embrace the suck. It's all bad sometimes. It's all hard. Like it seems like your life goes from one decision to the next sometimes. Like I just, like my car just broke down, and now my kid's failing at grades, and i like, Lord, I could do with just a little bit of ease up, a little bit of ease up. Listen, embrace a life that's never going to be easy. Just embrace, listen, life's always going to be hard. You're always going to have to make hard decisions. One of the great things about it, though, is they do say this, you know, and this is statistically true and everything else. Like, the more hardship you go through, the easier it'll get. This is why people over the age of 65 stress out a whole lot less than people who are at 25. Because what do they say to us? Yeah, been through there. Yeah, that was horrible, wasn't it? And they laugh about it now. They're like, oh, man, I remember. (laughs) Especially when it's little kids. They're like, oh, I remember. Yeah, I don't want them anymore. (laughs) Woo. Yeah. Yeah, right? Because they've been through it. They've been through it, right? So it it does get better. It gets better, right? Now, is it ever going to be the same again? No, 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 no. That's the deal. You lived it. You experienced it. You know what that part of life's like. That's the enjoy the adventure. Enjoy your life, right? But I'm going to tell you right now, it's a whole lot easier if you know the Word of God. (laughs) You have the option now to choose the path you want to take. You're always going to have hardship. Embrace it. Embrace it. But your decision-making abilities can be improved by your reading the Word of God and investing your life into a life with God, in Christ, living in Christ. Amen? Amen? Let's stand for worship.
1: You know, I, I listening to Pastor Jim talk, it's so right. The Bible's crazy. I've been saved since I was about 14. My dad got saved and my whole house got saved. We've had ups and downs and I've had moments with the Lord where uh, he has showed me some wonderful things and I felt like, like I was saved for the first time, I'm really saved for the first time in my thirties when I know that. The Lord had saved me when I was a teenager. But I was just reading. Um, I'm going through Acts in my personal devotion. And and I'm reading through Paul, you know, and his missionary journey and all that he went through and things. And, and uh, I came upon one of the stories where he was talking about how they had gone into, um, I don't know if it was Lystra or they were... Iconium somewhere, and they were going, and and because they healed a man who was crippled from his birth, and they said, "Oh my goodness, you are Zeus and you are Hermes, and we are going to worship you like you're Zeus and Hermes." And he said, "No, no, 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 we're not. We're just humans, and we're just people. We serve a great God." And um, he comes, and and they, because they were mad about it and everything, they stoned him. They beat him up. They kicked him out of town, and he had to almost die to get through that when he was just trying to show the power of God. I say all that to say, I've read Acts probably straight through four or five times, and I don't remember that. God shows you wonderful things like, every time you read it, how, oh, I didn't see that then. Now I see that. And, and for me, it was one of those moments where I go, oh, God, you're so good. Thank you for showing me that. And and I'm even going to tag on I had something this week where the Lord showed me something that I needed to see. I pray all the time for spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to hear. And I had something happen to me this week where He gave me spiritual eyes to see. And I feel so blessed that He did. We ask for it all the time. So this before we start to worship today, I want you to pray. I want you to pray that God will give you spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to be open for what's to come, even in your day-to-day for this next week. Our world is spiritual. And so before we worship, I want you to pray with me. Father, we come this morning and we lay ourselves down before you. And we ask right now earnestly that you would open our ears, that you would open our eyes to give a spiritual vision spiritual hearing, Father, that you would speak to our souls. Deep cries out to deep, Father. And we cry out this morning for you to speak to us. Always. And Lord, let us recognize your voice. We are your children. We are your sheep. We are yours. And we ask that we would always hear your voice. And Lord, right now we're going to worship you through song. We pray that Lord, you would be glorified through all these words. It would not just be babblings, but, Father, it would be earnest from our heart.
0: Lord,
1: you are worthy. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Father. We love you.